might be a Viking or a Saxon or a Roman, but tell me, do you like them? Would you sex them? Would you bone them? Would you go to bed with King Ethelred? Would you bunk William the Conqueror up in the sheets with Samuel Pepys? Mussolini was a meanie, led a fascist insurrection, but does he make you creamy? Does he give you an erection? Would you pork Richard the Duke of York? Does a boner start when you think of Bonaparte? Are you sexually aroused at the thought of Pol Pot? Historical hot or not? Hello and welcome to Historical Hot or Not, the history podcast that drives the Prince Albert ring of comedy into the unsuspecting dick of history. <laughs> My name is Aidan McCaffrey, I am not a historian, and this is... Catherine Mather, and I am also not a historian, but we are comedians and we are horny for history, baby. Uh, we will be talking about uh, you know, history's most celebrated figures and asking yes, but would you? We are recording this podcast Four days, five days, four days before New Year's Eve. And we're probably going to release this just after New Year's. Mm-hmm. I did some research, Kath, into yeah. where New Year's celebrations come from. And okay. how they come from. Sure. Is it the beginning of a new year? Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> now, have you heard of first footing, Kath? No, but it sounds sexy. <laughs> it sounds like first person to insert their foot into an orifice of someone else. Yeah. Wins something. I don't know. Wins no, that first, orifice. First... <laughs> yeah, you can have my asshole if you can get <laughs> your entire size nine up it. You can't give your asshole away, Kath, because then your vagina will have to become a sort of all purpose cloaca. And nobody <laughs> wants that. I can hear through it. I can <laughs> <laughs> vomit through it. What what do you want? Do you want a baby? Do you do you want a turn? Smell through it, but I can only smell one thing shit yeah Um, the first footing is the practice in scotland of after new year after the clock strikes 12 the first Mm -hmm. person to enter the house uh brings will receive good luck okay the main tradition is that you come to someone's house with a gift of whiskey Mm -hmm. and a lump of coal okay sure Uh, yeah i'm trying to wean myself off alcohol and fossil fuels so (laughs) i enter my friend's house with a bottle of nanny state and a lump of unprocessed lithium Wow. Same thing. Yeah, yeah, I bet they loved you. The most unrealistic part of that story, Aidan, is that you went round to a friend's house. You've been to my house. You see that I do collect a lot of unprocessed lithium, but it is entirely implausible that anyone would want to socialise with me. Mm-hmm. First footing, there are similar practices also found in Greek, Vietnamese and Georgian culture. There was also first fisting. This mm-hmm. is the first person to consensually enter their fist into the orifice of another human being is brought moderate luck. Mm. And there was also first femur, first person to enter their thigh bone into a regional guess the weight of this thigh bone competition gets a disabled badge. <laughs> is this a real fact, Ed? I feel like you're having me on. I've gone into the made up fact realm. Although this is true, the tradition comes from apparently, well, this is rude, but no one's entirely sure. It comes from Viking times mm-hmm. and the, Apparently, you want a dark-haired male to enter your house first. Okay. Because back then, if a blonde-haired fellow was at your door, it was usually a Viking, and it Mm -hmm. usually meant you were about to be raped and pillaged. Ah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh, Reese has got blonde hair, right? He has. I was heartbroken to find out that he was not the dark-haired man I thought he was. (laughs) Uh, I seen pictures from his childhood, and he was blonde, and I was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) 
no <laughs> but you know we've we've come to terms with it that and he doesn't like gravy uh which is a northerner it was a real real difficult moment for me that but we how did he manage at christmas then well the family stared people stared people were looking i'll be honest with you um but kind of like you know when a lady's expecting a baby but they don't want to tell anybody yet so they just have to like say no to alcohol and everyone keeps trying to give them alcohol <laughs> it was yeah. a bit like that like no one truly believed that he didn't like gravy they're like oh are you unwell are you pregnant yeah exactly and, and we had to be like no no oh my god i was in astus the other day though and they have cans of gravy you know like a can that you would drink from <laughs> that feels like the promise of the north yeah finally being realized like mm-hmm. in the south we like, we like things in cans we like gravy his can of gravy i tried to buy some but reese wouldn't let me have it he said just because it's <laughs> in a can doesn't mean you have to drink it like a can <laughs> he said as she sipped her fourth super bock <laughs> uh if only super bock also did gravy that would be awesome do you like so how does this can gravy thing work can you buy it in a four pack like a can of beer with the like plastic ring pulls on the top they're just singles and they're about two pound fifty it's really expensive and is it like a thin can of beer or is it like ring pull can of bean situation like thick can so you can either get like a pint can of it or a coca-cola can comes in two sizes i'll take i took a picture i'll send it to you when you open the can is the gravy just sitting there or is it like a silly string situation where you open it and it like all bursts out all over your face oh i hope so i hope it's like that so here we go we've got of course you didn't buy it did you i didn't buy it no i wasn't allowed to but he can't keep his eye on me forever (laughs) and you know i will be in that shop again because there's one here it's got um HP sauce in it. There's chicken gravy with white wine and thyme, and beef gravy with red wine. That caramelised onion gravy does sound quite nice. It does, doesn't it? Pots, it's called. If you want any, anyway. I mean, you didn't really do Christmas, did you? Have you had a good time not doing Christmas? On account uh... of your religious beliefs. <laughs> Well, I'm, I, I'm a cheeky atheist in that mm-hmm. I deny the existence of God while insisting celebrating his birth and indeed his death. Mm-hmm. Maybe I am a Christian because I celebrate his birth more and with more gusto. Than yeah. I celebrate, because all I do to commemorate his death is have a packet of mini eggs. Mm-hmm. Whereas Christmas is a whole shebang. Yeah. But no, we're doing Christmas on New Year, so Christmas was a more bound wasteland of nothing for us but in a good way what about you yeah i had a great time i introduced uh reese to the north and tins of gravy and, and tinned gravy i blindly followed a sat nav uh which took me through about three farms um <laughs> on the way to my friend's house which was one of the most terrifying things of my life i came home the other day uh, came back to the south booked my smear test in gotta get that done ladies january resolution yeah, exactly. Get, get some I, tester. I I just I always say you can't truly know a place until you've had a vulval biopsy there. On the twelfth day of Christmas, my doctor gave to me a smear test on my fanny. Yes, I thought you were going to go with vulval biopsy, but that works as well. <laughs> um, well, the truth is, I didn't know enough about 
what a smear test is <laughs> to ex- be able to expand comedically beyond the term smear test yeah. and the word no, fanny. No, that's that's fine. You can. <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't expect you to know. But yeah, I have recently moved house, and as such, they're like, "Welcome, welcome to the area. Please, please let us scrape out the inside of your vag." And I'm like, <laughs> oh, guys, sure. And I hope that it's not as uh, as uncomfortable as the last two. And I'm not talking about the procedure itself. I'm talking about the people involved in the procedure who made it uncomfortable the last few times I've been. Why did they make it uncomfortable? Just lie down in this Iron Maiden and we'll <laughs> yes. uh, get the test done. I'm sure I have mentioned this story at some point on the podcast and we will get into the subject matter soon. But first time I ever went for one, the nurse waited until I was nude from the waist down <laughs> to tell me off like I was a child. Because I had not updated my address on the system. And I was like, can I put my pants on before we do this? But that relaxed me in order to have the procedure that you do need to be relaxed for. Uh, The second time, thank God, was in COVID times. Uh, So I wasn't actually allowed to enter the GP surgery without ringing a little buzzer. Do you know Holloway Road? Isn't that that the road that... Our favourite place, Highgate Cemetery. Yeah, sort of. As in, they're both in London. Yeah, they're they're both fairly close to each (laughs) other in London. But you you know how busy Holloway Road is. It's it's never not busy. It's got Arsenal Football Stadium on it. You know, it's it's never not busy. Uh, They made me stand in the street, call in, and they're like, what's your name? I was like, Catherine Mather. And they said, why are you here? And I was like, I have an appointment at two o'clock or whatever. And they're like, but why what what's the appointment for and i'm like well you could it's it's probably written down in front of you and they're like no say it <laughs> so i just had to scream smear test about two or three times at this door before they'd let me in and then they made me shout it at them once more we can't let you in to do this until you have gone into your nearest Sainsbury's local and screamed smear test at the top of your voice yeah it's like beetlejuice You've got to shout it. Three times and then you can have one. Yeah, three times in a public place. It's the same for when they test you for testicular cancer. You have to look in the mirror and say ball cancer three times and Mm -hmm. turn around. And then the doctor appears behind you, (laughs) feels your nuts and says, it's fine. It's just a benign lump. Off Mm -hmm. you pop. Gives you a little kiss on the neck. (laughs) Yeah. It's a beautiful moment. I just do it for the intimacy now. The reason I brought it up... um, is not so that everyone will be thinking about my fanny for the whole episode, but that is a cheeky, lovely little byproduct. Um, nice bonus. It is, it's bonus material. But I think uh, the reason I brought it up was just if anybody is listening, if anybody is worried about going, um, these do people. Worry. Yeah, do worry. <laughs> but also, <laughs> terrible. These, Sounds these, awful. <laughs> these people have been scraping out badges all day <laughs> to the point that they don't understand why you might be a little bit uncomfortable having your vag out with a conversation with a stranger. So don't worry about it and have a laugh afterwards, I guess. <laughs> when you're standing there with your fanny out and now asking why there's two postcodes on the system, just yeah. remember, this is very normal for them. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? <laughs> Nothing has made me feel less sexualized. Maybe they were trying to put me at ease. If you took uh, your pants off and then they said, oh, they said nothing. They were like, oh, um uh, yes uh yeah yes if, if you could just go to the bed if, if that started happening you'd be like great 
Mm-hmm. That they, they've never seen a fanny before. Yeah. And then you worry. Aidan, do you want to tell the good people of wherever the fuck what the, the premise of the podcast is? Good people of wherever the fuck Shire, is this historical hot or not? Kath is going to pitch to me a figure from history. We're going to look at a photograph of them, objectify them, and then we're going to talk about the personality and decide all things weighed up, all things equal. Would we have sex with them? That's the format of the show. It's historical hot or not. Does what it says in the tin. You can play along at home. We get their profile picture off the eTrothed app, the historical dating app. You can see this photo in your podcast app of choice. There'll be a link. Some podcast apps show the photo of the episode as you're playing it. Play along. You, you decide whether you would bang this person as well. Yeah, if we would, they end up on the Bayer Tap That History. If not, uh, then we'll simply ghost them. Ooh. I ghost love the ghosts. that you can tell that we're recording this in the purgatory that is between Christmas and New Year. <laughs> we're both hanging out of our arseholes. And we're both got right up to the neck are just sitting in dis- <laughs> disused, uneaten turkey slabs. Yes, and empty cans of beer. Let's do this. Who have you got for me, Kath? Well, uh, today we will be talking about Enzo, who is 90, from Moderna. Going to send you a little picture over there of him on his uh, e-trosed dating profile app. So this is a man. It's a man, He's holding yeah. a large wheel mm-hmm. of an automobile. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell if that's a forced perspective trick because the wheel is between the photographer and Mr. Enzo. Mm-hmm. Or if actually, I think you made me mention this in the Dorothy Levitt episode a few weeks ago. Wheels were this were quite big back then, right? I mean, I guess you didn't have power steering. So they had to be the size of a windmill. Yeah, because I don't know if you've ever had to drag a car without power steering, but it's <laughs> essentially impossible. I could be talking at my arsehole here, but if you've got a bigger wheel, that gives you a bit more turning. I guess that's the logic of it, yeah. That's why the earliest cars required 17 people to turn the wheel. Yeah, that they were only wheels. <laughs> yeah yeah so this is a man in a car i think he's very good looking he's got excellent hair mm. very thick well combed hair mm-hmm. and actually i would say the fairly modern style by i'd say mine and your generation yeah like young people today have they're more into your your curly fringes he's not got a perm has he no but sure. he has got and a kind of haircut that is fairly timeless but could be fairly modern it's quite short the sides but it's Fairly thick on top, but he's combed it very well. I dare say he has an Italian look about him. Mm-hmm. You are correct. And yeah, he's just, uh, I don't know, a handsome 20-something man that you would meet on the Mediterranean. Purely on a superficial level, would bang. Really? He's halfway to the biotap history. Wow. What do you think, Kath? I'd say no. Ooh. I just, <sighs> it, I don't think he's a looker. Do you know what I'm saying? There's like something slightly odd about his eyes. Mm-hmm. They're too far apart. You gain points if you're exotic. Yeah. Like I sometimes look at French women and think, well, if you were English, you probably wouldn't be that attractive. But I can tell you're French and that makes you hot. Got and it. I think that's why I would bang Enzo, an average looking Englishman, but because I know he's probably Italian or something or Greek or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely would. Yeah, I guess Italian is kind of a sexy language, isn't it? Yeah, I want to dip my dick in that olive oil. Yeah, Bavanculo pizzeria. You know, all that shit. 
uh, we're half and half at the moment. Let's see uh, if learning about his goddamn personality will help us at all. Are you into cars and stuff? Because, or is it just because you recently learned? Because this is the second person in weeks that appears to be associated with cars that you've picked. Because your main job with this podcast is you're trying to document the lives of every woman who is operationally active in World War Two. Yeah. But yeah. you seem to be heading into a car direction lately. No, it's not that. It's just, I mean, the one about Dorothy Levitt, I wrote that one because she was a cool woman from history that I thought, well, let's know about her. This one I wrote because uh, there is a film coming out about this guy and we were hoping that perhaps uh, some people might want to learn a bit more about him uh, in a sexual kind of way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we thought, fuck it, we'll just write an episode and put that out. Uh, we're not beyond capitalism. And that has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that our Oppenheimer episode was one of our best streamed episodes. Yes. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with that. No, no, we've not been doing it tactically. It's all been for the love of these <laughs> certain historical the the figures. <laughs> yeah. I have written about too many men lately. I did think that because actually I was starting to worry it was becoming too chick heavy. Yeah. Uh, but actually it's uh, become a bit of a dead sausage party. It has. But don't worry, I uh, went back home recently and my dad bought me a book about uh, the three words, northern lesbian trailblazer. And I was like, <laughs> buy me that book, you son of a bitch. I, I didn't call my dad a son of a bitch. He's a nice man. <laughs> he was like, would you like me to buy this book for you? And I was like, yes, please, Papa. So don't worry, we have got more ladies coming. And uh, it disgusts me how much I'm writing about men as well. Northern lesbian trailblazer. I feel like any two combinations of those three words, you would have been in straight away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Woman as well, I guess. But then does yeah. that... If you already have the word lesbian in the sentence, the word woman is a tautology. Mm -hmm. I like tartalini. Um, <laughs> anyway, shall we? Shall we learn a little bit about this guy? In my experience, finding out about the personality doesn't necessarily make it better. <laughs> but we'll see. We will see. I know who this is, actually. Yeah. But I don't know. I actually don't know anything about them. And although I'm usually on it with films, I haven't seen the film in question. Mm. So have we mentioned his name already? I can't remember. Enzo Anselmo Lamborghini was born. <laughs> <laughs> no. Enzo Skoda was born <laughs> in Russia in 1900. Uh, Jonathan Volkswagen. Um, no, Enzo Anselmo Ferrari was born on February the 18th, 1898 in Moderna, Italy, the second son to Alfredo Ferrari, a metal worker, and Agdalsia Bisbini, a woman, which at the time was enough. It was snowing so heavily on the day of his birth that his father had to wait two days before he could register Enzo as existing. He didn't have much in the way of a formal education, but at the age of 10, he was taken to the 1908 Circuito de Bologna. <laughs> shall I try and read these out properly, or shall I just... Not comedian historians, <laughs> or even geographists. No, uh, I'm not a linguist. We're not cartographers. No. Yeah, or linguists. Uh, we're barely comedians, if we're totally honest with you. So he went to uh, Circuito de Bologna, a Grand Prix race, <laughs> a Grand Prix race that Felice Nazaro won. Felice was from Turin, uh, where a uh, heartthrob and friend of the pod, the Turin Shroud, um, <laughs> resides. Uh, this experience shaped Enzo, and he went, wanted to become a racing car driver and or opera singer, according to biography.com. 
uh, from then on. Didn't actually find much else about the opera singer bit, uh, so that could have been bullshit. Do you think that you could be a good singer? Did you ever want to be in a band or out like that? Kath, I was in a band. You were in a band. Oh, of course. Was, of course I was in a friend band. Friend of the pod, David Eagle. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> if, if he was in the band, it would have probably been quite good. Yeah, you would not be here now. <laughs> yeah. But if he was in the band, I wouldn't have been. Mm. Yeah, no, I was in a band in school uh, with some friends and... We got reviewed by the local newspaper, the Harrogate Advertiser, oh. the enemy of the North. <laughs> <laughs> and he said of our band, this band is a, this is a genuine quote. <laughs> Go on. From a genuine publication. This band is about as rock and roll as a trip to Safeway. <laughs> <laughs> Which we thought was so funny. Yeah. I mean, we were quite gutted when we first read it because yeah. we sent in the CD and we're thinking... Oh, I can't bloody wait to read this five-star review, heralding us as the most exciting thing to hit the indie rock scene since definitely maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were quite gutted. But we also, because we had a sense of humour, actually put the quote on our website. <laughs> <laughs> put it on your MySpace. There's a, I do have um, MP3s of the of the band. Yeah. And, uh, there was one song that I genuinely did a rap on. Oh, my uh, God. I, you You still have a I'll copy put, of that? I do, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I have it all. I'm actually, I'm a, I like archiving my entire life. So even though I'm sl- fat, slightly embarrassed by it, I, I have to archive it. Yeah. So if you listen to the end credits, I will put in a sample of me rapping. Oh my god, I can't wait! I'm so excited. 2003. <laughs> I mean, I think we can all be thankful that Enzo Ferrari did not want to also become a rapper. Because, good God, can you imagine the decadence? Wait, when was he born? What year? He was born in uh, 1898. Yeah, I think in the sort of 1910s and 20s, rap was at the very best in its beta form back then. Yeah, I think it was known as poetry back then. <laughs> yeah. It's just spoken word. Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, best Christmas present ever, finding out that you you were a rapper. Um Yeah. Cannot. I wasn't. I was only a rapper on one song. Yeah. No. That's that's. You are known as a rapper to me now, forever. I mean, it's entirely possible I'm still the best rapper to have come out of Harrogate. Possibly. If you ever get a Wikipedia page, please know that <laughs> I will be the one changing it to rapper and comedian, Aidan McCaffrey. Every single day. Yeah. You'll yeah. change it back. Yeah. I'll, I'll make sure that that reads rapper and comedian. But if you do that, then like Abandonman's fans will be like, let's go and check this guy out. Yeah. And be way too disappointed in like yeah. whimsical observations of what it's like to be middle class in the north of England. Yeah, man. No one will like it. It'll be awesome. <laughs> That's how the joke just keeps getting funnier for me. <laughs> <laughs> they say the best music from 2003 was Franz Ferdinand's debut album. Mm. But I think people are overlooking a little gem from the north of England by Aidan McCaffrey. Yeah, I'll let you be the judge of that. Talking of our youthful years, uh, when Enzo was 16, it was only the bloody First World War that broke out, wasn't it? Although it it was just known as the Great War back then, because that would have been horrible foreshadowing, wouldn't it? A bit like how Star Wars was just called Star Wars until they then decided retroactively to make it Episode 4. Yeah. It's known as Star Wars Episode 4 A New Hope. Mm -hmm. But they kept, they were sensible with World Wars. They just made the second one too. It would have been mm-hmm. odd if they'd have said, oh, actually, we're renaming World War One World War Four because we yeah. decided that the Crimean War, the American Civil War, 
and the French Revolutionary Wars all count as world wars. Yeah. They would have probably added Jar Jar Binks' stupid character into it. It wouldn't have mm-hmm. been weird. Yeah, nobody would have respected yeah. it. Enzo joined the Italian army in 1917 when he was 19 years old. Likely not out of choice, joining the 3rd Mountain Artillery Regiment as a mule skinner. A mule skinner sounds pretty fucking gross, but it does just mean someone who drives the mules, uh, also known as, and this is a much better name for it, a muleteer. <laughs> I'd be a muleteer. But you wouldn't be a mule skinner. No, that sounds minging. Unfortunately for Enzo, uh, it wasn't mounting combat in one of the bloodiest wars Europe had ever seen that was to get him. <laughs> uh, but it was, in fact, the flu. Um, both his father and brother died of the flu in 1916, and Enzo caught it in 1918 being discharged from the army because of it. So I- I'm going to go off pieced a little bit here it is wild that the 1918 flu pandemic was essentially forgotten when you consider how significant covid has been because 16 million people died in world war one but between 50 and 100 million people died in the flu pandemic and that only lasted two years it's insane if you suddenly lost say a 50 year old parent Mm -hmm. as some people did in the covid to you, that's huge. Yeah. So I don't want to belittle that at all. But relatively speaking, what that pandemic was, was nothing compared to some of the flus from history. I mean, the Black Plague wiped out between 40 and 60% or a third of the population of Europe, the Black Plague. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the thing about the Spanish flu is, as you know, it's a fairly modern period. Like my granddad was alive just at the time of the Spanish pl- <laughs> the Spanish influenza. It's crazy, isn't it? Uh, and also, people were bleeding from their eyes. Yeah. You know, this wasn't just like, I've got a really bad cold and I will feel sluggish for three months after. Bleeding from their eyes. And 28-year-olds were dropping dead everywhere. Specifically yeah. 28-year-olds. And um, I read an article in The Economist about this. They suspect it's because if you're born during a flu uh, or a pandemic, your body learns how to fight that particular pandemic mm-hmm. and there was a pandemic in 1890 and they reckon the reason 28 year olds died is because their immune systems prepared themselves for that that influenza ah uh, shit uh, and that other one. yeah but it was sufficiently different enough that the body reacted incorrectly to the one that came along in 1918 shit. and you can track and they've tracked that through all the influenzas that have happened since like there's been loads in asia uh, over the past seven or eight decades and yeah they find there's disproportionate amounts of people died it's often that they were all born during uh, the same pandemic, say, three or four decades earlier. Or in this case, like, well, two and a half decades. Yeah. It's grim. We'll just go through some facts now, because that's fun, isn't it? About <laughs> <laughs> No, I love it. Yeah, no, because, so my my theory was, it kind of got ignored because there'd been, like, the the hell on Earth that was World War One. That was, like, visually grim. And then the pandemic is just like, oh, you're just dying in bed. But like you said, it was also visually fucking grim. According to archives.gov, a fifth of a fifth of the world's population caught the virus. And in one year, the average life expectancy in the US had dropped by 12 years. Fuck. Some people died within hours of their first symptoms. But according to a study by Brundage and Shanks, it took a medium time of 7 to 11 days to die. So that's like you're well, 
within a week you're gone. It affected largely the younger population as our immune systems were better than the very old and the very young. So the virus would set off a cytokine storm in which the immune system went into overdrive. Uh, So it was your immune system kind of killing you because it was just went batshit. Symptoms included heliotrope cyanosis, where the skin would first develop two mahogany spots over the cheekbones, which would then, over a few hours, spread and turn the entire face blue, followed by black coloration in the extremities spread into the limbs and the torso. After this, death would follow within hours or days due to pneumonia. Other signs and symptoms reported included spontaneous mouth, ear and nosebleeds, Miscarriages of pregnant women, a strange smell, teeth and hair falling out, delirium, dizziness, insomnia, loss of hearing or smell, and impaired vision. It really puts the sniffles we had in 2000 and 2021 into stark relief, doesn't it? Into stark perspective. It does. It's kind of graphic, isn't it? <laughs> um, and then and we had Netflix. Yeah, what I know, right? Have? Fuck all. They had a stick and a, a hoop, <laughs> and they weren't allowed to run around outside with it. They had one silent film, yeah, which was Birth of a Nation, which was hugely racist, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> some books. Yeah, if, and as we all know, Kath, books are boring. Yeah, if you could read them, otherwise, fucking useless. Last little factlet, and then we'll get back on to end. So, uh, it was called the Spanish flu, as you have called it uh, in passing, uh, as they were the first to report on it, as they were neutral in the war. But it's actually fairly likely that it came out of Kansas. Um, because what had happened was there were travel restrictions on civilians to stop the spread of disease. But the troops, oh, no, just go on through, lads. Uh, <laughs> and it, they, they were the ones that were spreading it, obviously. So, yeah, there you go, America. Suck on that one. So, Enzo, when he returned home, the family metalworking business. So, I mean, he survived, he survived influenza. He got it, but survived. He got it. His brother and his dad didn't. Uh, but he got it, survived it, uh, came home from war, uh, and the family metalworking business had gone under. So he first tried to find work at Fiat, and when they had nothing for him, he got a job with CMN. Thoughts and prayers for Catherine as she tries to say these three Italian words. <laughs> Costruzione <laughs> Machanite <laughs> Nazionale. Uh, in Milan. Good, good job. Thanks, mate. Uh, in Milan as a test driver. He was... Oh, God, there are so many Italian words in this. Right. <laughs> you always make it hard for yourself, Kath. I do. Can we do someone English next time? Just find some suffragettes from Manchester. It'd be very easy. Yeah, I like those episodes. He was given the chance to compete with the company's racing car team in 1919, finishing fourth in his division at the Parma <laughs> Poggio de... Bersetto Hill Climb Race. In 1920, he left CMN for Alfa Romeo. He won the Circuito del Savio in 1923, <laughs> where he met the parents of World War I pilot, or Flying Ace, as everybody keeps calling him uh, on every article that you read, Francesco Baraccia. He died when he was 30 years old after being shot down by the Austrians. Damn Austrians. He said, uh, his family said to Enzo that he could use the Baraka family emblem. They were, they were very posh. His dad was a count. The family emblem, can you guess what it was? 
I don't know, something that would later be problematic, like a huge swastika. <laughs> no, it was a black horse on its hind legs. Oh, <laughs> that's quite nice. You know the Ferrari logo? Oh, I don't. This is the thing. I'm not into cars. Yeah, well, this is where it came from. This is the origin story it's of the Ferrari Fer- logo. Yeah, so if you look up Francesco, there's a picture of him next to a plane, and uh, it's got the horse on it, and that was good luck. So they said that... Uh, Enzo could have the good luck. Lloyd's Bank clearly saw that and thought, I'll have a bit of that. Yeah, Lloyd's TV, TSB getting in it. But there's two things here, Aiden, right? First things first, their son was shot down in a plane that had the emblem on it. Why did they think that this emblem would bring <laughs> Enzo luck? I think it's like how football fans get very like, oh, I was wearing this underwear the day my team got promoted into the Premier League. Mm-hmm. They become convinced it's good luck, even and they wear it every game, even though they might lose half the games. It's it's not like people who are superstitious. It's not like it makes any sense. Or, of course, the other thing could be, maybe the parents didn't like Francesco. Maybe they didn't like the son that died, and they were like, "I'll tell you what, this black horse symbol has brought us some pretty great luck recently." Yeah, and uh, we're now going to give it to you. Yeah, we got rid of that cunt. We'll get rid of another yeah. cunt. Now we just need to get that door so he won't cut out of the family will. <laughs> In fact, we'll, we're going to hold on to the black horse until we get rid of that daughter. And then the black horse is all yours, mate. Yeah, go for it, baby. Second question, what would your family emblem be? Well, my family's from the north. Probably just a scratch card <laughs> hanging, out the, hanging out the back pocket of some denim jeans. Yeah. Uh We are big on scratch cards in my family. Oh, yeah. I know I always like to big up us being sort of posh from Harrogate but it's uh, it's slightly exaggerated my uh, uh, mum is a big fan Have big you fan ever, of scratch cards you ever had a big win on a scratch card well I actually remember when they first introduced lottery scratch cards in the late 90s and I think well actually I know for a fact they flooded a lot of the early cards with prizes so uh. there was this insane period where we'd go out and buy 10 <laughs> we'd win, you'd win like like 50 60 quid and they got us hooked mm. but but then they but then they pulled back yeah suddenly suddenly all those 10 20 pound wins dried up Ugh. and by that point we we're all addicts yeah so. uh, what would your logo be would yours be a northern girl drinking some gravy straight from a can would that be the matha family logo yeah i was gonna say it'll be a can of that gravy popped <laughs> gravy with with the asda font price underneath it's still there yeah uh, I'll use my points for it. Yeah. Or maybe just your logo is, is a green whoops sticker, <laughs> like they used to have in Asda. The clearance ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, nope. <laughs> I'm just going to keep slagging off your family, or if the logo is a store worker taking all the reduced items and putting them in the reduced section while a queue of impatient shoppers wait next. You know how you always Hustle have like a queue around of- them. Yeah, like making their job more difficult mm-hmm. simply because they want to be the first person to get that seven pence eclair for themselves. Yeah. Well, now we're done cunting me and my family. <laughs> uh... <laughs> 28th of April, 1923. Enzo, he, get, he, only, he only goes and gets married, doesn't he? To a dancer and a seamstress. She is called Laura Dominica Gorello. Ferrari and he met her when he was a racing car driver and that is all of the information on their meeting that's available 
he had uh, well i'm sure that they'll sex it up a little bit in the film they've probably got access to more resources uh for yes. you know finding this shit out than me he had three wins in the 1924 season but he fell out of love with racing driving following the deaths of two colleagues ugo savoci in 1923 and antonio ascari in 1925 both of them were in their mid-30s both of them driving for alfa romeo Ferrari, however, did like the organisational aspects of Grand Prix racing and decided to focus on the management and development of the factory Alfa Romeo race cars. He sounds dull, doesn't he? <laughs> Do you want to drive the fast cars? No, I actually quite like the organisational aspect of the event. <laughs> well, I don't know. My friend sent me a video she found on Instagram Reels of nerds entering the world excel championship <laughs> and the reason she sent it to me is because she knows i would love that yeah i don't claim to be good enough at excel to compete how but, uh, what is the competition with an excel spreadsheet <laughs> it'll be i mean essentially an excel spreadsheet is a massive calculator yeah so i think it's they give i guess you put in lots of data points mm. And then you've got to sort of reach conclusion quickly or something. I don't know. Yeah. You can do some pretty fancy stuff with Excel. Yeah. It won't be just like do some conditional formatting. So this column turns red mm-hmm. if it's got women's names in and blue if it's got... It won't be like basic stuff. It'll be like hardcore Excel shit. Yeah. I can make it all add up at the bottom. <laughs> what more do you need? That's it. <laughs> I actually wrote um, an Excel formula that... I counted had um, had over two thousand characters in it. Wow! Yeah. What was it for? It was the proudest moment of my professional life. I had to calculate how much staff we needed, depending on what type of work was coming in. Right. And the only way I could figure out how to do it was to just come up with a thing where it said, "If something equals X, have this cell equal one. If something equals Y, have this cell equal two. It was like that. Mm-hmm. But I had to put in like something mad like 65 or 70 reference points in it so right. yeah it added up to about 2000 characters oh my god that's why my friend sent me this thing she's like oh you're good at excel yeah so what i what i'm saying is i reject it's cooler to be good at excel it's cooler to be into administration than it is to be driving fast cars and fucking women that's all i'm saying unfortunately you were a really cool rapper in your youth so um i've always got that to fall back on yeah some people might look at me and go he likes to bury his head in spreadsheets. And then I say, you haven't heard flow until you've heard this. We've got to launch an attack to get the music back off the shelves of a globalized CD rack. Mm-hmm. Everyone <laughs> needs a trade to fall back on and yours is the rap world. Move over, Drake. HG1's finest rapper is coming your way. Yeah. Well, that really was a treat to listen to. Thank you, Eddie. <laughs> I've got much more respect for you now uh, as a person and a performer. Because God knows you have no respect for my comedy career. God, no. No, absolutely not. Uh, But I've got respect for your rap career, for sure. (laughs) So, in 1929, Enzo established his rapping career. No, Enzo (laughs) established the racing division for Alfa Romeo, gathering a dream team of other 40 racing drivers called the Scuderia Ferrari which means Ferrari stable, because it's a horse, remember? He completed his last race in August 1931, and Laura and Enzo welcomed Alfredo slash 
Dino Ferrari into the world on the 19th of January 1932. Enzo had sworn that he would stop racing if he had a son, which he did, and he began to groom Dino as his <laughs> successor. Um, absolutely adore that he would not give a shit if it was a girl, but son, oh no, I'll look after myself. In 1933, Alfa Romeo withdrew their financial support for Ferrari's stable, <gasps> with Enzo finally leaving the company in September 1939, with the stipulation he couldn't use the Ferrari name in association with racing or cars for at least four years, which luckily wasn't to be too much of a problem when you consider the dates. It was September 1939. It could be bad because manufacturers of things could win in World War Two. Big government contracts to make things. Oh, yeah. So... No, they, he could make them. He just couldn't put his name on them for four years. So he wouldn't lose any business, but he's just got a solid four-year run-up to make shit cars if he wants to during a war yeah. when they're going to get blown up before anyone would notice anything anyway. <laughs> uh, kind of like being put on a no-fly list in March 2020 yeah. for two years. <laughs> oh damn so Enzo opened Auto Avio Construzione in Moderna in 1939 with the plan to make racing cars however unfortunately the outbreak of World War II got in the way of that a bit and the Italian government intervened asking for the factory to produce aircraft parts, machine tools and hydraulic grinding machines used to produce ball bearings that incidentally was uh, Aiden's nickname during his rapping years the hydraulic grinding machine. <laughs> I think I'm going to say the ball bearing. <laughs> In December 1939, Lotario Rangoni commissioned two cars for him and Alberto Ascari to drive in the 1940 Grand Prix of Brescia. <laughs> the factory was bombed and then he went to Marinello. I should say now that my car-loving boyfriend is in the same room as me, he's just got home from work, and I'm really feeling the pressure about uh, <laughs> pronouncing the names of these vehicles poorly. It's Grand Prix, <laughs> not Grand Prix. Apparently it's Grand Prix but, and not Grand Prix, but I'm saying it as it's written. I thought you knew that and you were saying Prix as a joke. Yeah, yeah, I was saying Prix as a joke. There is only two Grand Prix of the three of us and it is not me. Uh, you're the one that's been saying Grand Prix, so therefore you are definitely at least one of the Grand Prixes. I am the grandest of pricks. <laughs> but I've also met Reese, and I know, you know he's definitely not a prick. He's quite a nice guy, which yeah. means by, by elimination, I am near the Grand Pricks. Yeah, yeah. Enzo was not faithful to his wife. Oh, what? An Italian man in the 40s and 30s? With success behind him and a public name. Mm. Who would have thought it? I know, right? Uh, he had several affairs. The most notable one was with Lena Lardi, uh, which spanned decades and produced a son, Piero Lardi slash Ferrari. We will come to that. After the war had ended, Ferrari was able to make cars bearing his name. Way! Uh, winning his first world championship Grand Prix with Jose Froilan Gonzalez at Silverstone. In 1956, his son, Alfredo, died. That's sad. Yeah, at the age of 24 due to Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Very sad. Uh, in an interview in 1988, Enzo said of caring for his son, 
I had deluded myself, as fathers often do, that our attentions would help Dino to regain his health. I had convinced myself that Dino was like one of my cars, and so I made a table of calorific values of the various foods he had to eat, types of food that would not harm his kidneys, and I kept an up-to-date daily record of his uh, albumins, of the specific gravity of his urine, the level of urea in his blood, of diuresis, etc. So I would have an indication of the process of the disease. The sad truth was quite different. My son was gradually wasting away with progressive muscular dystrophy. He was dying of that terrible disease which no one has ever been able to understand or cure and against which there is no defence aside from genetic prophylaxis, i.e. a medication or treatment designed and used to prevent the disease from occurring. He does sound a bit like you there, actually, doesn't he? <laughs> I don't know, you're saying I've got muscular dystrophy. No, I'm saying that you would probably get a spreadsheet out. Oh, <laughs> I remember my friend, my friend, uh, when his granddad died, I asked how his family was, and he went, well, actually, the, organising things is the thing that brings them together. So, actually, they've had, quite a fun, they've had quite a fun few days. Yeah. Booking the funeral, booking the cremation. Yeah. All this stuff, ticking off a list. Setting up a note in Google Keep so you can tick off each task as it's completed. So I think you're right. I I think I would uh, very much enjoy the administration of uh, tracking a disease as it lays waste to one of my loved ones. You're not yeah. wrong, Kath. Yeah. So good. That's, that's a nice, well, not a nice moment of humanity for him <laughs> there, but, you know, a yeah. moment of humanity. Although I like I also do look, if you've never seen me naked, I do look like I have muscular dystrophy. So um, <laughs> that's why I got confused initially when, when you said that sounds like you. Well, I, uh, you are quite right. I haven't seen you naked, but uh, you are quite a hairy man. So I imagine it would be kind of like, <laughs> uh, you know, when you put a Persian cat in a bath and it looks, <laughs> looks quite chunky, but then you put it in the bath and you're like, oh, oh, goodness me. Because it's all the hairs flat down. I think that's what you've been like. It is actually, yeah. Because some people think I'm ripped, but it's actually only because they can't quite see past the hair. Mm-hmm. And they think, oh, hang on, is he is he is he hench, or is he just so thick with fur that I actually I actually can't see the muscular wastage, mm-hmm. the total lack of definition below. <laughs> Very much the latter. Yeah. Well. I'm glad we've cleared that one up. Um, how do you think uh, Laura took the death of her son? He sounds very involved and passionate and um, helpful in the whole situation. Mm-hmm. I'm, so I, I'm, I'm going to guess the opposite. M- maybe gave one shit, didn't give two. Uh, I mean, she took it extremely badly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she what she did care. Oh yeah, yeah. She cared so much. Uh, she took it extremely badly with her behaviour becoming unstable and erratic. I don't know why I assumed a binary like. Only one of a couple can give a shit about their dying child. Yeah, not both of them, that'd be too much. Enzo's two descriptives, withdrawn and isolated. Which again, unlike a man from the 40s, innit? Well, maybe, I don't know. But I mean, you look at English kings who's like, male heir died, mm. they were gutted. There's loads of examples of, of especially English kings who uh, lost a male heir or lost a son and then lost their mind afterwards. So, mm. And if you lose your mind, you lose your dick and any other airs that might come out of the dick. Talk about your problems. Don't, exactly. don't go yeah. insane. Don't be a medieval king, guys. 
just uh, just open up to someone yeah get therapy talk to someone that you can trust and then you your dick will keep making more of you don't be henry the eighth oh no hang on. he actually did have a son eventually so he yeah. did who well died. actually no actually henry this is a, is a good example because he, he, he couldn't have a son and then the ones that were born died in infancy mm-hmm. and uh he fucking went mad and split an entire religious order in two yeah you don't have to do that guys we can open up these days you can and i uh to, just today actually saw a um ai generation of what henry the eighth would look like now and i'll be honest with you it looks like the kind of person that you would see down the shop at the scratch cards with his like jogging bottoms just showing a, a <laughs> bit of the arse crack so my family basically yeah 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 it looks like it'd be yeah. one of you lot I've seen the same thing done to the six wives. Oh yeah, well they fit. I bet they were fit. Yeah, they're really fit because it's it's we've discussed this before. It's kind of hard to look at um, portraits of women from that period because the beauty standards are different and, and mm-hmm. be taken by them. Um, Elizabeth Woodville is one of the only ones who I've seen where I'm like, actually, no, she's really attractive. Mm-hmm. But actually, when you when they do the the real life thing, they're all really fit, like exceptionally attractive, and yeah. they do look. It's not like they don't look different. They look exactly like the portrait, but. They are, they are very attractive. I was particularly taken by the fourth one, Anne of Cleves. But apparently her photo, her portrait was misleading. Ah. Uh. And when she when she showed up in England, Henry was very disappointed and couldn't get it up. <laughs> now, this, this, is, this is true. So it was Anne of Cleves' portrait is the 16th century equivalent of a woman's Tinder profile where there's seven women in it and you're not entirely sure which is the one you're supposed to be swiping right on. Yeah, or you take the picture from above to get rid of your chins, make your boobs look bigger and then filter on it or something. Or you take the photo and then 14 years later select that photo to be the Tinder profile picture. Yeah. Being this misleading. And guys do that as well. That's not just women that do Oh, that. yeah. Oh, goodness me, yeah. My, my Tinder profile picture was a picture of me aged 12 in a Boy Scouts <laughs> uniform. Yeah. Women like the youth. I know one girl's profile picture was uh, a sonogram. <laughs> Insane stuff. How did Insane behaviour. How did that go for her? Well, no, because people just assume she's pregnant. Uh, ah, so yeah. It didn't, didn't work out well. Yeah, no, that, I can see why that would backfire. Enzo was charged with manslaughter. What? Yeah, or man's laughter, as I quite like to read. Uh, in 1957, when at the Mille Migalia... <coughs> Miglia... <coughs> race a four litre ferrari 335s driven by alfonso de Portago blew a tire at 155 miles per hour crashing into the roadside crowd killing de Portago, his co-driver and nine spectators five of whom were children each bit of that list oh. gets worse doesn't it yeah you really saved you're saving children for the last word there yeah, killed the driver. Oh no, that's a tragedy. And his co-driver. Oh man, no. Five, nine spectators. Oh god, they were even in the car. Five of whom were children. Oh god, they didn't even want to be there. <laughs> they were there because their parents were. I mean, the only thing that could have been worse was, and this incident then prompted Richard Nixon to increase his bombing campaign <laughs> of northern Cambodia and the Vietnam War. It's the only thing that could have made it worse. Yeah, this was how napalm was invented. So um, <laughs> there was a lengthy criminal prosecution that was finally dismissed in 1961. So that's quite a long... 
Four years. Eight Ferrari drivers died in total, including Luigi Musso and Peter Collins in 1958 and Wolfgang von Trips in 1961, just through driving the cars in racing. The argument made in the man's laughter cases against Enzo um, was that he'd produced dangerous cars, but at the time, all of them were dangerous. And Also, the most insane part of this is that the idea of wearing a seatbelt was considered unmanly. (laughs) So they weren't even wearing a fucking seatbelt. Yeah, but is being a corpse on a dashboard considered to be heavily masculine? Mm. Because if not, you might want to strap in, lads. Yeah, I think uh, that having all of you, the skin on your face, removed (laughs) by the asphalt is the most manly position anyone can be found in. I knew this one guy the back of his brain came out in front of his nose. He's the masculine ideal for having done that. I heard about this guy, right, who had a car crash and he survived it, went home to his family to provide for him and care for him and love him. Uh, and uh, his his wife left him, actually. Pussy. Yeah, because he was such a pussy. Oh, should I wish he'd died? <laughs> That's why a lot of guys on Tinder yeah. just says, looking for love doesn't wear a seatbelt. Because women go for that. They do. They go for yeah. that. They're like, I... I I, I want to live in the purgatory of not knowing whether my partner's going to come home uh, all the time. Neil Armstrong didn't strap in when the, when they launched him into space. No. So why the fuck should I strap myself into my Hyundai yeah. i10? I reckon Neil Armstrong did strap himself in on the way no, to he did, the. He did. He did. He did. I'm making. It yeah, because that'd be insane, wouldn't it? Can you imagine how embarrassing it would be to go through the windscreen in space? Because yeah. you just have to hang there, wouldn't you? You can't swim back. When the whole world's watching. Just floating there like a dickhead forever. Would be a great road safety ad, though. <laughs> Just him going through the window. And then Anton Deck turned around and go, and that's why you always wear your seatbelt, like. Yeah, and then and then another rocket would go by, and it would be that dog that Roger <laughs> sent, and she'd be wearing a seatbelt. And, the, and then the other one of Anton Deck would go, oh, good dog. Yeah. Laura, God bless her, she'd been managing the operations at the factory whilst her husband had been going through grief and legal battles. Tale as old as time, isn't it? She was not popular. (laughs) She was extremely abusive to staff, which resulted in eight of the company's key officials walking out, which became known as the Great Walkout, hosted in a tent by... Sue Perkins and Noel Fielding. <laughs> so I think that as well, like he, he could have just said, oh, mate, I'm sorry. And they'd have come back, but they just didn't. And it kind of fucked him over a bit because in 1969, financial issues saw Ferrari sell a 50% stake to Fiat. Enzo had previously been in talks with Ford, but he would pulled out at the last minute. Um, due to concerns over control of the business. I'm cutting quite a bit out here because I, I could go on about all of this this is a whole thing in itself but it is a bit boring and it is all a bit i'm sure the film does it justice interspersing with adam driver banging penelope cruz in 1971 enzo stepped down as managing director his wife laura died uh, laura i imagine probably uh, died in 1978 at which point he was able to acknowledge piero as his son because divorce was not legal in italy until 1970 People are just like, oh, you have an adult son. But that didn't happen out of wedlock because now your wife's dead. So it's all fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
I guess. I don't know. Enzo died of leukemia in August 1988, age 90. Something's got to take us, right? Why do the good always die young? (laughs) He requested that his death only be reported after the day of his funeral uh, so that people didn't turn up, which is fair dues. Piero is currently a billionaire and the vice chairman of the Ferrari company with a 10% share ownership. So it all works out fine in the end. Enzo Ferrari died age 90, proving the maxim, live fast, die quite old. Yeah, live in an organisational role at the Grand Prix, <laughs> uh, cheat on your wife, die old. Do admin for 70 years, then mm-hmm. die old and healthy. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't help you, healthy, you had leukaemia, but, I, you know, it's a, something's going to get us, isn't it? Um, sources for this episode, before I forget, before we get into trouble, uh, New World Encyclopedia, Biography.com, Wikipedia, our old friend, Carthrottle.com, and DiceyTrends.com. So, Aidan, Enzo Ferrari, now you know a bit about him, would you fuck him? Historical hot or not? I, this is really hard because I'm not into motor racing. So <laughs> I kind of find him a bit uninteresting. Like the most yeah. interesting aspect of his life is almost the first part where mm. he goes to war, gets Spanish influenza, his family dies around him and he survives. Yeah, he's got to uh, stop being, being a muleteer. Would you bang him? No. Why? Again, uh, he, he's not a looker. So, you know, he's not got that going for him, I don't think. He uh, sounds like he's just that guy, you know, if he's just shagging around whilst he's, he's got his wife. Uh, only really seems bothered about um, having having a boy. Not, not that interested if he had a daughter. Uh, granted, you know, he does seem to have a care inside there, but he, he does sound a bit like he was... Because as well, one thing that I didn't actually mention, what he'd do is, instead of um, making any kind of, like, family amongst his drivers, he would pit them against each other so that they were always competing to be on top. He didn't seem like he was a particularly uh, agreeable person to be around. I've worked in those kind of corporate environments where competition is encouraged i want to and should get on with my colleagues mm-hmm. i shouldn't be like competing against them for the next promotion just everyone do the best job they can and make the best person win kind of thing exactly yeah no i think i'm a no mm-hmm. i'm a bit torn i think the adultery tips it into the negative for me yeah because if i'm banging him i want him to be faithful to me i don't i don't want to share enzo with anyone well no so... just if you're gonna marry somebody like honor that bit you know yeah that's my argument. It's weird for the country that literally houses the Vatican to be like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like the closer you get to Italy, the more fuckboyish it becomes. Mm-hmm. Except for right at the centre, the chaste papal figure of virginal Pope Francis I. Yeah, the uh, the chastity belt of Italy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keeping that cock firmly under an iron dome so it's a no a no to enzo ferrari enzo does not get onto the biotech registry he's not on there so no. we'll um fuck him then or don't fuck him actually we'll ghost him happy new year everyone hope you enjoy this podcast two dates to keep on your diary february the 9th mm-hmm. you can see kath do her solo show 
at the Globe Pub in Leicester Comedy Festival. Mm-hmm. That's at half past seven, is that right, Kath? Half past seven, yeah, and then get yourself a little cheeky half-hour break between shows. Come back at 9pm and it's only bloody hot or not pod live episode. What? Uh, yeah, at the Globe. Uh, we've got a good uh, episode there uh, ready for you. Uh, and then you can marathon it because do that on Friday. Go home. Second date, Saturday the 10th. Yeah. It's me. You can come and see me do stand up with my good friend Pete Kinsella. We're doing 9pm. The Saturday the 10th, exactly 24 hours after the Hot Not Pod record, and it'll be a whole weekend of comedy. And if you want to see other things that day, just like message us on Twitter. We know loads of people. We know the comedians that are doing Leicester. We can point you to the good ones. Yeah. Uh, it should be fun. I'll just uh, send us a message. We'll go for a drink. Yeah, yeah. we're desperate for friends. Yeah. As yeah. Catherine did earlier, I don't have friends. Just <laughs> please hang out with us. Yeah, I'll be there all day because um, trains and shit, innit? So, yeah, happy Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, have a good uh, 2024. I, I honestly don't care. Keep downloading the podcast. Recommend it to some people. Come to our show. We'll have a bit of merch. You can buy that. And as always, spread the word, spread your legs, and remember, it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside of the coffin that counts. Goodbye. You have been listening to Historical Hot or Not, written and created by Aidan McCaffrey and Catherine Mather. The podcast art was by our good friend Richard Todd, and our theme music by excellent musician and also good friend David Eagle. We also have music by Ergo Fismas, Lasser License from the Free Music Archive. If you've enjoyed us and you would like to donate to the cause, we would love you to do that also. You can find us at ko-fi.com forward slash hotnotpod and you can download bonus episodes of Historical Hot or Not from Acast Plus. The link is available on our link tree, linktree.com forward slash hotnotpod. Bye! We've got to launch an attack to get the music back off the shelves of a globalized CD rack. Back into our ears where we can feel with a heart, not a wallet, or our visa. Climb the branches of a corporate tree. See a world where music came to be. Mom, where one day, rats will be sold just like the fun of mellow gold. So where's your faith? An exploitation lost in the dreams of a liberal generation. It's never gonna happen and it's never gonna be. Exploit the world because money ain't free. Hey, everybody, get up on the floor. Hey, everybody, where's your faith in exploitation? You ain't got none. 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 But I've got some.